Jen, I've had a day. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> I have. I've had a day. I had a day that began with it is January, everyone. It's I want the story. I want you to know that the, this this podcast was recorded in January because the rest of this story for people who don't live in New York City with children, <laughs> it's going to sound crazy. Um, I walked into the coffee shop this morning to write, and I actually had like a really big thing that I had to do with my manuscript this morning because I realized something was terribly wrong with it. And my daughter's, one of my daughter's friends, moms walked in. She like just sat right down across from me (laughs) at the table and she was like, are you thinking about camp? It's time to register for camp. God. All the camps are already full. And I was like, (laughs) what? And then I like quickly registered my daughter for like eight weeks of camp in the summer, and I'm not even sure, like, what it is. No. They're, like, probably in some lady's house. It's fine. Sure. <laughs> is she going to be in my house? No. Then it's fine. Yeah. <laughs> Those are dark years for me. <laughs> I mean, she's mostly good, especially, you know, I will say on snow days, it's, there's a lot of it's sit hard. on this couch and watch Elena of Avalor, which <laughs> your kid did not have. No, but, uh, no, we didn't. He didn't at all. Anyway, but camp feels, I mean, yeah. not, that's, it's not even sleepaway camp. It's just like, yeah, go to the aquarium and look at sharks camp. Yeah, yeah, sure. Um, He went to camp at the school he goes at where I work and when he was really little. But here's I will put in a plug and I'll put this in show notes. Um, Everyone knows I live in Chicago, the great state of Illinois. And um, when he was interested in trying sleepaway camp. Um, my husband was like, that's not really a thing a lot of black people do. And um, if I can be honest, and but there is one camp in this entire country that is owned by a black family and it is in Illinois. And we sent and it is like the whole purpose of it is like multicultural to like just like really help kids understand their identity. And it's like, you know, all of the counselors come from all over the world. All the kids are really like like really diverse. It's a tiny little camp out in this out in Illinois, out in like I don't even know where I'll be honest with you towards Iowa. And it's called Camp Coopagani. And I know. And my son loved it. And so he went there. It sounds like a movie camp. Yeah. It it really honestly was a, a really cool experience and it was we we felt really great about sending him there. So that's awesome. He went there. Yeah. So if you're looking for a really cool camp for your kids and you're about to like put them on a plane to O'Hare, they'll come pick them up at O'Hare. Take them to Camp <laughs> Kupagani. Can I tell you um my own personal camp story? Yes. From when I was a child. This will come as Literally no surprise to our longtime listeners. So I grew up in Rhode Island, uh, the child of uh, a, an Italian and an English woman. And camp was like, I mean, sure, they, that's not a thing. It's not a thing. <laughs> but I really, 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 really wanted to go to camp. And my mom was like, all right, well, I'll sign you up for day camp. You're not doing sleep away until you really understand the level of yeah. what can, of what you are asking for. So I was maybe eight or nine. And I went to the day camp that was part of Like, she was like, you're going to be a Girl Scout because then you can go to this, like, day Girl Scout camp. And I was like, fine. And I hated being a Girl Scout. Like, hated it. Hated going mm-hmm. to the meetings and, like, getting the stupid patches. Um, I did like the cookies, though. Shout out to uh, the Old School Romance Book Club where there's oh, a thread. Yeah. 
If you go over there, you guys, you can like order Girl Scout cookies from all over the country from any from all sorts of book club members who have kids who are who are Girl Scouts. Anyway, so I went to um, this day camp. So she dropped me off in the morning and I was, you know, eight, maybe eight or nine. Um, and I had to pee and they took me to an outhouse and I said, oh, no. <laughs> and then I oh, said, God. you call my mother. I'm leaving now. <laughs> and I did. Scene. Yeah. Like two and a half hours. I yeah. <laughs> I then met an outhouse, stared yeah. into the dark abyss of the outhouse. And I was like, not no. for me. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm not really a camper. No, so. that's not my not my thing. City camp's pretty fun, though. Yeah, there's, like, museum camps. and Yeah, yeah my daughter's going to the aquarium for two weeks and, like, to the museum for a week. Yeah. It's fancy. Sure. And cool. Don't. Like, she gets to hang out with penguins and learn about sharks. Like, that's yeah. really neat. I wish I had that. Sure. The one... She that, went last year and she yeah. pet a sea lion. Yeah, I know. She came home one day. I was like, what'd you do today? She's like, I pet a sea lion. I was like, What? <laughs> Yeah, no, it's amazing. When um, he was a little older, the one he went to, they basically just took the CTA and the bus all over the city. Like it was like, yeah, it was super fun. fun. So they would just like get on and go to Navy Pier and go. It was it was awesome. They would just do that all day. But this is not a parenting podcast. No. And Eric is going to be like, I deleted the first five minutes. It was real boring. It was boring. You know what? Fine. It was Camp Kupagani, though. Keep that. I'd love for people to know about that joint. Welcome, everyone, to Faded Mace. <laughs> I'm Sarah McLean. Uh, we don't always talk about camp. <laughs> we will never again talk about camp. No, I can pretty much guarantee we're not going to talk about camp because we've already talked about that Kate Claiborne book that's set at a, at a summer camp. It's or really the best camp. we could I'd do. Like camp. It was summer Are camp. there other camping? Camping romances. Go. <laughs> Literally, no. I've run away <laughs> from camping romances. <laughs> Here's a, here's a true story, you guys. Maybe I've told this story before. I'm, like, such a city girl. I can't even properly identify, like, common common animals. Like, when Kelly and I were driving like to Women's cow. No, listen, this is a true, a true fucking story. We are driving to the women, back from the Women's March, so, like, through rural Virginia. And we passed what I thought were, like, a field of pigs. I was like, I didn't know that, like, pigs hung out in the field. And Kelly was like, those are fucking sheep. And I was like, really? (laughs) All right. Well, that does feel like you should know the difference between a pig and a sheep. Like, that feels like some basic picture book stuff. (laughs) Yeah. I, it's, you know what? It's all All gone and I'm fine with it. I don't go apple picking either. That's fine. Uh Oh, I do like an apple picking. Mm -hmm. I like something where I feel like I can, like... Look like I'm in a magazine. <laughs> I, you guys, spoiler, I never look like I'm in a magazine. <laughs> that's a real inexplicable thing for me that city people do. I'm like, you know where you can pick apples up for real the cheap supermarket the store? <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> well, yeah. Anyway. And uh, right. Jen, why don't you tell everybody who you are? <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm Jen, reads romance but doesn't identify barnyard animals. And, you know, can't name a camping romance to save her life. Uh, no, you named the one I have. Although, you know, it's funny. One do things- Icelandic volcanoes. No yeah, problem. Camping romances. I'm literally like, listen, no. Although I do have deep in the recesses of my brain, a romance I have been looking for for a long time. Who the knows when Ooh, the fuck we're going to do it. that a lot. We today, are going to do so that. Right. Good. It's on brand. And it must be an old category where. They are out, and I don't know why, but the hero zips two sleeping bags together. Oh, yeah, sure. 
the modern version of we are sleeping in my tartan. Yeah. And I am. And then he sort of plays it off like, I don't know. They must have thought we were together. And he just really wanted to snuggle with her. And I am dying to find that romance. So if anybody remembers that Aww. little scene. Well, maybe your husband and you could like go zip some sleeping bags together sometime. <laughs> you guys remember the insomnia talk from last week? I can't get no sleep. Sleep, 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 sleep. That's like, like that you know sounds like they... hell. <laughs> God, yes. You, you know, so, oh. oh, this is another, we're now we're just talking about camping still, but so now you guys have heard my story, right? About the outhouse. Mm-hmm. So I, so this is where I'm at. Like, I don't use porta potties. I don't go far from, like, I just don't, like, I don't no. go to concerts outside because where would I use the toilet? I mean, <laughs> where am I going to pee? I'm like, you know, when you're pregnant and like, you're like, I got to suss out the bathrooms anywhere yeah. I go. I'm like that, but all the time, not sure. pregnant. <clears throat> so, uh, when we were getting married, um, Eric and I were talking about like, okay, well, where are we going to go on our honeymoon? And we made this list. And it was, like, this really great list of, like, cool things all over the world. And I read in, like, some travel magazine about this, like, trek that you could take in the Andes up to, to, um, I guess it would be Machu Picchu. And I don't know. now Now I'm like, I'm sorry, you guys. I'm sorry to our South American listeners because I should know this. But it was like basically the the like takeaway was and you go on llamas and it's like a week up the mountain and you go with a private chef who cooks you like stuff from the world like you just like eat he he like sources <laughs> food as you're going up the thing and I was like Eric wouldn't this be amazing this would be the greatest honeymoon he's like you want <laughs> to Take a trek up a mountain for a week with a llama. <laughs> He's like, like, you know, sir, there are no bathrooms. <laughs> I was like, okay, this is fine. This is fine. He's like, and then he was like, and what happens? Like, what what if they can't source the local? Like, what if what's there is a guinea pig? And I was like, I see what you're coming to. <laughs> I admit and that. I feel like. Maybe this is not the right choice for our honeymoon. So we went to Greece instead, and that was really wonderful. Well, that's nice. Yes. That's very nice. Sarah. There were bathrooms everywhere. Uh, yeah. Ev- everywhere. Yeah. They have bathrooms at the Parthenon. It's fine. <laughs> um, Sarah, what are we talking about this week? I actually, it's going to be a really nice pivot, because if you let me talk about a book first, we're going to do the most I'm excited about today. You tell them. All right. So, you guys, we want to do something really fun because, as you know, I'm on deadline and romance is kind of bizarre right now. There's a lot going on, although it's been a pretty quiet week. Um, (laughs) This week, the shit show is in Litfic with American Dirt. Yes. Thank God. What a terrible story that is. You know, today I was talking to somebody who's like in that Litfic world and I was like, what about American Dirt? And she was like, what about American Dirt? And I was like, what? How do you not know? And she was like, I swear to you, Sarah, I had no idea. So, like, I think it's just, I think it speaks volumes to, like, first of all, I feel really great about all the people who blew up my phone about American Dirt. Like, these are people who I'm glad I've, like, curated my group very well. Sure, that you know. Anyway, and then uh, we're not going to get into it because Adriana Herrera is going to join us in a few weeks to talk about, um... 
books by Latinx authors, writing marginalized characters. We're going to ask her all the questions that people, you know, have um, about how to do this right, uh, who should be doing it, how they should be doing it, who should be getting paid for it. Yeah. What they should be getting paid for it. Yeah. Um, so stay tuned for that. But um, anyway, so there's a lot going on in the world, and Jen and I are tired. Yeah. And it's only January. So um, we want to do something fun. So we decided we're going to do old categories, oh. old category romances that we loved from oh. our youth. Yes. You guys, there are some deep cuts in here i'm real excited and we're gonna play the does anyone remember this game because i have looked for two separate categories this week and cannot find them so uh anyway it's gonna be a ride we're gonna tell you stories (laughs) that are just bonkers um and all of them i have found all of my books online still available some of them Available now from the authors directly because they've gotten their rights back. So, yeah, uh, we're going <clears> to <throat> blow up some Kindle, some, like Kindle numbers for some of these some yeah. of these authors. Or I will <laughs> say, too, like a lot of these are you can get the old like I have a bunch of them that I bought on Amazon that, you know, like they're used and it's like they're a buck or like thrift yeah. books yeah, yeah, is yeah. a great place to also go and get like old category romances. And I got to tell you, it is both like you have to do it with caution it was a different time and you are gonna read oh, yeah. some shit i did not reread so heads up everyone yeah <laughs> I, I was like i have some... no idea what you're about what we're about to get into like here yeah. there be it's possible like here there be dragons oh I, for sure I mean, in one case for me there definitely is a dragon oh so. <laughs> <laughs> But I meant it metaphorically and also literally. So, so yeah, I would just say, you know, when you are diving back into the archives, you're 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 going to see some things. And so just <laughs> be oh. take just take it as you will. We're yeah, right. It's we're like, doing a thing here. Yeah. It's like, you know, the first time you watch 16 Candles again as an adult and you were like, oh, mm-hmm. shit. Yeah. Yeah. It's like that. So, um. Sarah, why don't you talk about you really came to romance from like Joanna Lindsay, the Joanna Lindsay past. Well, so So, here's the thing. My first romance novel was Jude Devereaux's The Black Lion. We've talked about it. We're not going to talk about it as a book that blooded us because woof. But I did read that. And then, um, which was not, which was a standalone. Uh, And then, but my sister, who is a decade Mm -hmm. older than me, um, was a Harlequin. No, not a Harlequin. I've realized now it's not Harlequin. She was a Love Swept subscriber. Love Swept was my jam. Yeah, those like purple, you know, like the the pastel. Yeah, oh, you're holding one. She's holding one. That's an Iris Johansson. I mean, like, yeah, like those with the swoosh. Sure, with the the swoosh on them. Um, And so she would get them. And she would like there was a, it was a subscription service just like Harlequin I think mm-hmm. still is a subscription service, and you just pay it like she paid her like five bucks a month or whatever, and four books would come in in a box. Yeah, and they were under the under the bed because she was hiding them from my parents, which is kind of weird. I never hid them from my parents, but that's the difference between a Cancer and a, a Sagittarius, I guess. 
As I was I like, well, I'm doing this. <laughs> yeah. Well, I guess you probably could have been like, they're hers. I don't yeah. know how they got under my bed. <laughs> yeah. So uh, that's that. So I read, I was reading both. Like all my contemporary experiences as a kid were mm. category. Yeah. All my uh, historical experiences as a kid were standalones. Were there even contemporaries that weren't category in the 80s? Contemporaries. That, well, there was... McNaught did the do all oh, sure. like the like perfect. that sort of collection. Yeah, perfect. right. Those oh, okay. We should read perfect. Yeah. God, it feels those books feel like so old though. Like, yeah. you know, they're it's they wild are. when it's like Glenn Close is the most beautiful actress who's ever lived. Oh, I mean, yeah, Glenn totally. Close is beautiful, but she's also like in her sixties now. Yeah, and right. so like it just feels like super weird. Well, and I definitely remember like. Sandra Brown making the jump with what was it like slow heat in heaven? Mm-hmm. Like I remember that happening and me being like, "Oh, this is different." Yeah. So, like you, I um found like many many romance readers, I found a bag. I got I came across a bag of romances, and in this case. They were in my grandmother's basement. My man, my grandmother was not a reader, and definitely she was not <gasps> reading these books. What? I found it. What is I it? I found it. I just, I was like, listen, I'm sorry. I was listening no, no. to you, and it's I was fine. like, I'm just going to keep, like, I'm going to keep trying different words to find this category romance that I was looking for, and I found it. What is it? Well, no, you keep going, and I'm saving it up. Oh, my God. Okay, so anyway... And this is the thing. So this was a bag of remaindered romance novels without the covers. And I was, you know, my we would go over to my grandma's and hang out for hours. I'm sure my mom was just like, I got to have some time. I totally remember being at my grandparents a lot, which is awesome. And I would just get bored. We just do whatever. And I started reading these books. And the very first book I ever read was a book called Pink Satin by Jeannie Grant. And I reread it and a bunch of like, so, it, you know, looking Wait, back. This was your first romance novel? Yes. I yes. can't believe we've been doing this for how long and we've never talked about that. Yeah. No. And so here's the thing, Sarah. Jeannie Grant. Does she still write? Uh, I think under a Jennifer Green. Jen's going to, uh, Eric's going to be like, and there were keyboards tapping the whole time. <laughs> Isn't it? I mean, that's what this is. Sure. Right. right? We're searching it up. Jeannie so Grant. no, I, I have this book, Sarah. Here's the, the thing. I bought it off Amazon. I had never seen the cover before. Huh? Oh, cause the cover was ripped off. Cause it was ripped off. Cause it was remainder. It was remaindered. So for those of you who don't know what this means, basically if the categories for a month don't sell, Harlequin doesn't want them back. Silhouette doesn't want them back. So they rip off the covers and basically report them as destroyed. And I think the bookstore is just supposed to trash them, right? Yeah. You guys, this is actually the dirty, dirty secret of publishing. Like yeah. I have a remaindered story too. I read Bertree Smalls, All the Sweet Tomorrows, because it was remaindered. So it's called remaindering. Um if you if you if a hardcover is in a store um and it's been on the shelf like, you know, I don't know, there are Every store order, they know how many of, say, like, the newest Stephen King they're going to sell. 
right? Mm-hmm. They can predict, like, we're going to sell 200 of the newest Stephen King, and it's going to come out in hardcover. And let's say a store overbuys. They buy 250, and yeah. then they have, like, 50 of these books left. So they're going to keep a few on the shelf because he's Stephen King. Sure. But they don't have room. Like, independent bookstores do not have room, or any bookstore. Like, bookstores just don't have the room to keep 50 copies of everything. So if they're hardcover, they pack them back into a box, and they mail them back to the publisher where they go back into the warehouse and just sit on a shelf until they get shipped off somewhere else. If they're paperback, yep. they get remaindered. And that means they rip the cover off and you're supposed to destroy them. In yeah. fact, on many, many paperback books, if you look on the inside in the title page, it says, it says. if you have received this book without a cover, you're right. basically reading stolen property, right? The author didn't get paid. The publisher didn't get paid, whatever. So technically, I mean, like, I've seen pictures of remaindered books in stores, and it's really sad, especially for somebody like me, right? Like, all sure. my books are in are in paperback. And so they just rip the cover off and throw them in, the, in like, a big, giant dumpster. right. And the truth is that, I mean, there are a lot of things that I would really like to fight for in publishing, a lot of things. One of the big things I'd like to fight for in publishing is for trade paperbacks that get returned, quote, to the publisher, because that's what happens. Then the bookstore gets their money back, and the publisher, Council's Books is unsold. Um, I would like for New York City publishers to figure out a way to get those paperbacks into prisons, yeah, into donate them women's somewhere. shelters, into homeless shelters, like places where people who can't afford books yeah. can access absolutely. books. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and there has to be a, a way to do this. Right. And it's just like, like all things in publishing, like it just feels like you're constantly putting out like the current fire and there's never... Like what but are we like, doing here? But like if you're somebody who's sitting at home and has like lots of time and like the where with the bandwidth and the money to do something and you're thinking I wish I knew what to do I'm yeah. telling you the like it would be great if there were a program that could do that. Like and looking back I sort of like remember a bunch of the titles that came out of that bag. And I think the thing that I would say is it must have been like 1985. So I was you know, 12 or 13. And I was like seventh or eighth grade. I remember reading romances in eighth grade. So it must have been maybe that summer before. And I like looking back, especially at those really early ones. One of the things that really strikes me about category romances is that they were about working women, every single one of them. Now, my mom worked, so it wasn't like I didn't have a model for that in my home. It wasn't, like, revolutionary in that way. But when I go back and have, like, read some of these, I'm kind of amazed at how, you know, these were women who were, like, fighting off sexual harassment in the workplace. Mm-hmm. They were, you know, like, fighting for, um, like, fair fair and equal treatment from their bosses. To I mean, it's, it's – some of it's pretty great. Yeah. Yeah. So Jeannie Grant is also Jennifer Green, is also Jill Hart, is also Allison Hart, uh, is also Jessica Massey. I mean, you guys, wow. this yeah. is the thing. So we're we're gonna get down into it and we we're picking, you know, Jen and I have like we said, pick some deep cuts. <laughs> and like I found like at least one of my authors, like, I don't she doesn't appear to be writing anymore, and I don't know what I don't know whether that means she's changed her name or or what's happened. Jennifer Green is a big enough name that she's a Wikipedia page, and that Wikipedia page has all the names. Yeah, Sandra Brown is a big enough name that Erin um, Saint Clair was yep. her silhouette intimate moments name. Mm-hmm. 
Nora yep. Roberts wrote under different names. And there's something else to be talked about here, and this is sort of a history lesson, but these category romance writers, for a long time, the category lines own their names. Yeah. So, like, you know, Jeannie Grant was Jennifer Green's or was Allison Jill Allison Hart's name as she wrote. But then when she left wherever she was writing sure. for, she became she had to change her name because, sure. you know, Love Swept or Harlequin or whatever owned those rights. People have been asking this is all sort of relevant to what's going on today right now. But pe- because people have been asking, like, what's the purpose of RWA? Like, how does like what is the value of having an RWA? Yeah. RWA was a major player in making sure that writers, when they left a house, could take their name with them. Yeah. And, like, before RWA fought this, alongside many, many authors, including Nora, who wanted yeah. to keep her books, like, you, if you, left her, if you wrote categories and you left Harlequin, you left your name there. Isn't that amazing? I mean, so then you have to rebuild your whole, like, you know, everything from scratch. Yeah, you have to literally start over. And of course, like back in the day, it was a little bit easier to start over because, you know, there could be sort of a whisper like, oh, yeah, Jeannie Grant is now writing as Jennifer Green. So, you know, so like the buyers at Walden Books would say like, okay, well, we'll take a chance on. We know what those books will be. But I mean, you know, one of the things that I bemoan all the time about romance history is that we've really lost so many people in the we just in the shuffle and it takes like sitting down with you know it's Steve Amondown looking in RW old RWRs like the magazine from RWA or like yeah. you know looking through old romantic times issues of romantic times or just you know happening like ha- you happen to say to Susan Elizabeth Phillips when you're like standing with her somewhere hey yeah. whatever happened to Blah, blah. So yeah, and so. Exactly. And she's like, oh, she stopped writing that. And now she writes, you know, romantic suspense under this other name. Right. And that's it. Like, all that history is, like, so fascinating. But, you know, I went back and read Pink Satin, and it was right around when the Harvey Weinstein thing happened. Mm. And I'll link, I'll link to the article or to the the review I, I read or I wrote, sorry, because I basically, like, pulled quotes from this 1985 book. And these Ronan Farrow articles and Mm. basically was like, oh, look, oh, look, it's the same. This shit's exactly the the same. same. And so part of the thing that's like really fascinating about old categories is like how is what's the same. And then the other thing, of course, is like what's really different. Like a book I had really fond memories of the first Sandra Brown I ever read, um, you know, was. Oh, boy. Some book where she's they have a one night stand at a snowbird, which is like some Utah fucking ski resort. And then I only vaguely remembered that she's going to like decorate his house for him. He hires a decorator. It's her. And then I was like, oh, it's a plantation. I'm going to go throw up in my mouth now. It's awful. Yeah, I mean, couldn't do it. It's one of those. You know, we talk about it all the time. Like, uh, it's of a time, right? It's of a time. And like. Look, I mean, when you're Sandra Brown or you're Jane Ann Krentz or you're, you know, one of these writers, who's, like Sandra Brown, Dana, Jane Ann Krentz, Barbara Delinsky, Sandra Kitt, these were the the flagship authors of Harlequin. Like Harlequin, yeah. U.S. season one yeah. is like some of the biggest names in romance. Like right. those are four of the original five. The fifth is I'm is gone from my head. But um but it's also it's another person with like a name like that. And the reality is like 
it was 1981. Like, yeah. there's some crazy shit in these books. Yeah. Um, you know, my favorite, my, my, like, the, the, if you said to me, like, all right, what's the category that blooded you? It is a book by Sandra Brown. It's a Erin St. Clair book. Um, that now that has it's contemporary and it has a um, native hero oh, who yeah. is a um, lawyer who is sent to prison for lawyering for protesting like an Alcatraz style protest and he escapes from prison and um, kidnaps the heroine and like they go on a road trip to get back to um his family land and like see his grandfather who's dying and like it was i mean put it in my veins (laughs) but like now when i look back on it like wow there's a lot and it was like sandra brown is a pretty sensitive writer like these days Sandy's on the side of right, you know, <laughs> but like it was 1980, whatever. And uh, it, it's a ride. Yeah, it is. I mean, escaped, escaped from prison, abducts a girl. Like, apparently this is my kink because that's also the, the plot of uh, sure. Perfect. Yeah. Well, how about this one? This Iris Johansson book called White Satin. She's like a, an Olympic figure skater. There's like always at the categories. Other thing about categories oh, is yeah. they're always mining what is happening now. So yeah. in 1984, there was a bunch of them that were like Olympics ones. Mm, right. Mm-hmm. OK, this bitch is like, I'm sorry, like <laughs> her, the trainer. She falls in love essentially with like the man who's like, of course, he's her guardian or whatever and he's also a skater but he's older than her and flat out in this book he realizes that she becomes sexually aware of him when she's 14 whoa i mean okay <laughs> he gets real skeeved out by well, it well he and, gets skeeved out by right? it right he does see, we, this is the thing we've been talking about this is so like i'm so glad we're doing this it's so fun <laughs> um because like this is everybody keeps saying like 30 year old books 30 year old books like the difference is 30-year-old books where the author isn't aware of what the problem is and 30-year-old yeah. books where the author's like, no, 14 is too young. He needs to be super grossed out. Yeah, he Done. is, right? Like, But it's grossed out in that he then, like, waits for her to be 20 and you're still yikes. like, okay, well, <laughs> I take it all back. <laughs> no, no, but also, like, these were all these books. The heroines were yeah. all 20. 20. The heroes were all 40. Like, it's bonkers. <laughs> but like, it really put it, is. I don't know. Put it in my veins. What's sure. wrong with me? It's what, what? we came up on. That's I why, know. right? It is. And like, ugh, I don't know. Also, I mean, like, there's so much to unpack because the reality is like, we're still doing this. Sure. We're still thirsting after Brad Pitt, who is old. And yeah. we're like, you know, we're, we can't keep actual movie stars who are talented actresses. In business, this is a massive societal, like, systemic issue. Um, I do want to pause and call this person out because it's amazing what he <laughs> has done. Um, and then we'll and we'll put this into show notes. But a guy named Rob Imes, I'm going to call him. I'm going to pronounce it Imes, I-M-E-S. Okay. Put together this, just a couple of weeks ago, a guide to category romance series from 1965 to 1989, and it is unbelievable. Yeah. Like, you sent it to me, and I was like, (gasps) I felt like I wandered into Atlantis or something. Yeah, like, it (laughs) is amazing. It's the Library of Alexandria. Uh, It's actually... 
how I found one of these books because I could remember the cover, but I couldn't remember the title or the author. And so I went looking for covers that looked like it on this list. Like, so we'll put the, this is a, such a valuable resource. It's such a remarkable, like Rob, I'm sure you probably don't listen to us, but like it, this is amazing. And I just want to thank you. Cause like every time anybody puts together a piece of history, Roman yeah, history, it's, like, it's so great. I sent it to Kelly Faircloth at Jezebel. She was like, this is amazing. I mean, like, we're all just yeah. blown away by it. So, yeah, it's you, pretty Rob. great. Um, Okay. So, Sarah, what did you find? All right. All right. All right. All right. Okay. <laughs> so, I have, I have two that are from names that just, I've, you could have held a gun to my head and I would never have been able to pull them out of. So, do you want, I'm going to give you, here. <laughs> I have three I want to talk about. Okay. Do you want the one where the woman can talk to animals? <laughs> Do you want the one where the house, the castle in Ireland or Wales Wherever. or somewhere, castle somewhere, has a resident dragon? Or do you want the Elizabeth Lowell where they're big cat hunters? Not hunters, <laughs> but they're like big cat scientists. Oh, boy. The struggle. Um, I guess I want to hear about that dragon, Sarah. <laughs> <laughs> That's the one I just found. The name of the book is... <laughs> Hang on. Wait, I lost it again. Oh, I mean, Sarah, come on. The The name of the book is The Lady and the Dragon. <laughs> Sometimes I'm like, why the fuck can't I find these things? I mean... Category romance is not fucking around at all. It is a... Harlequin Temptation, oh. number 355. Mm. It was published in July of 1991. Damn. So little Sarah was about to be, no, was 12 and a half. <laughs> so great. Um, let me set the stage. Michael Reese, our hero, lives in a castle in Wales. He's kind of grumpy. I mean, of course course he is. Of course he is. And he has a problem because he is 28 years old. He's been living in this castle and he has been attacked by the dragon that also lives in this castle. (laughs) Oh, my God. Why is everything so pure? It's amazing. So he does what any smart 28-year-old man in Wales with a hat on his shoulder would do. You guys, I should add, this is fully contemporary. This is not a world where dragons exist. I mean, <laughs> right. clearly oh, yeah. it is. But, like, that's the best part of this is, like, this book starts and it's like, hello, we are in contemporary America. <laughs> and so he does what any, like, really smart person would do in in the, in the case of a dragon attack. And he calls in Professor Catherine Glenn. (laughs) I am dead. Who is an expert on dragons in fiction. (laughs) So she comes and basically, like, she gets to the castle. And then this is where it starts to get hazy because I don't 100% remember the plot once you actually get into it. But I remember that there's, like, kind of, like, a love triangle between the, like, 
dragon and the hero and the heroine. Um, and the dragon is like into her, but like into her like platonically. <laughs> Oh my god. And so like there's like some confusion about like what the dragon really wants. And of course the dragon really wants them to bone. Sure. And um yeah, it's <laughs> really wild. Anyway, it's called The Lady and the Dragon, and it's by a person named Regan Forrest, which <laughs> does sound like a romance novel name. Like Oh yeah. That doesn't sound like a name that's real. But her name, I mean, unless your name, if your name is Regan, if you're out there, if you're listening to us, <laughs> just know that, like, baby Sarah had a sexual awakening <laughs> with the lady and the dragon. Uh, Harlequin Temptation number 355. And it, I don't know really, and I, like, I just ordered it actually today. Just yeah. Now, like, five minutes ago. Because I was like, I do not remember. Um, and there is, there are two reviews of it on Goodreads, and one of them is one star. This book once again reminded me how much I loathe romance novels. So, <laughs> A plus. Oh, wow. <laughs> it, this book truly probably blooded me. It's, it's one of them. Ooh. And I don't know. And I just I just Googled Regan Forrest, and I can't find any information about her. She wrote for a while. She wrote for about 10 years. And then she stopped writing. Man. So, if you know about Regan Forrest, let us know. Woo. That's if you're friends with her, please tell her we just put her name on. A, we just did a, po- a podcast about her. I mean, talk about deep, uh, deep tracks. All right. Do you want to keep going? Or are we going to go back? And no. Forth? Now you give me an option. OK. So do you. Oh, want- wait. No, she died. Oh, oh, that's uh, sad. Oh, my gosh. She was born in 1935. Ooh. She died in 2010. Oh, my gosh. On January 21st. Which is this week. Oh, see? So, you guys, um, well, I'm so, you know, best wishes to Regan Forrest's family. Okay, Sarah, I have, <clears throat> would you like one about, <laughs> hmm. This is my a- favorite. <laughs> I want all interstitials to be this way now. Okay. Do you want one about a, um, <clears throat> a man who's returned from Vietnam? Do you want one about a a widow and a widower who between them have seven children? Ooh. Or do you want an Elizabeth wow. Lowell? No wonder you're one and done. I know. Or do you want Elizabeth, an Elizabeth Lowell about the Great Barrier Reef? Let's save the Elizabeth Lowell since for we the both end. have one yeah. for the end. So sure. tell me about... Tell me... Oh, let's get the kids out of the way. Tell me about that one. Okay. So Sarah, I, like you, was a huge fan of The Love Swept. And... The swoosh. The swoosh. And my favorite Love Swept author was a woman named Barbara Boswell. Oh, yeah, of course. I've talked about her before because my favorite series was the ones where a bunch of sisters marry a bunch of brothers, the Bradys and the Ramses. And there were like four or five of those. And I've read them all and I've rebought them all on Amazon. And uh, they're still kind of amazing. The Ramses were like the mean Houstons and like the Bradys were just like good West Virginia girls. But in Darling obstacles which is love swept 95 surgeon greg wilder has four kids and he is you know too busy to watch those fucking kids so his one of his sons men don't watch children listen the shit's (laughs) wild i reread this this week so he 
Um, his babysitter is a, a mom in the like local school. So her son and his son are like best friends. And so she watches the kids after school. And in one Friday night, he is really late picking them up and he's there like with a date and she's obnoxious and the kids are like, we don't want to go. We want to stay with Maggie. And basically, all of a sudden, he like sees her for the first time. And here's the part that is like, I'm going to tell you like the wildest shit about this book. So she even though she has three kids, she's actually like 30 two or 35. I mean, she wasn't real young, which I was like, oh, that surprised me because I was used to the, you know, young 20 ingenues. But she was that with the first husband. Yeah. I think I've read this book. I'm looking at the picture, the cover right now. I know that white nighty, that white silk nighty up the thigh. Right. The banister, the curvy banister. Yeah. Like basically that he's all of a sudden he's like, oh, she's real beautiful. And the next morning he like shows up when she's making pancakes and breakfast. They make out on the stairs, and I was like, they just get Stair right to sex. it. Nice. I, know. I mean, he's like feeling her up. She's like, a, whatever. Anyway, um, sh- the, the thing that's really, I remember really vividly about this is they're like, they sleep over, you know, they're sleeping, the kids are asleep, they don't realize the parents are together. And there's this whole scene I remembered really vividly where the littlest kid like wakes up and thinks there's a monster. And she's like a super mom, of course, and like, Mm -hmm. you know, gives him like a Lego gun and tells him to like zap them and then they go back to sleep. Every, all my parenting comes from romance novels. (laughs) (laughs) These... This she was camp, I guess. Right. So anyway, I think one of the things that's really interesting, though, is it's grim at the beginning of the book. She has just landed a job as the like local secretary at the the school all the kids go to. But she had been working the night shift at fucking BWI at a ticket counter and he's paying her three dollars an hour. And I was like 1980s. And then at one point she's like. I do feel really sorry for him. It just must be really hard to be a surgeon. And I was like, ma'am, you're fucking working the overnight shift. <laughs> ma'am. Ma'am. You're feeling sorry for the Let's wrong person. Let's talk about what's hard. <laughs> right? Goddamn. And then at the end, I think. Wait, I'm so, not is sure. he, so he, they're both widowed? Widowed? Yes. They're both widowed. Yeah. It's interesting because like the divorce piece is interesting. Yeah. Right. You didn't see a lot of divorce. Early no, days. no. It was like we, a lot yeah. of death. A lot of dead spouses. And we don't even really know what happened to his wife. She just died. But her well, husband was a cop. I mean, you can't fall in love with a married man. No. No. So, sorry. Yeah. But, but if you're you know, going to do your Brady, if you're going to, if you're going to do Brady Bunch fanfic, they both got to be widowed. It's fucking Brady Wait, Bunch was fanfic. Mrs., was Mrs. Brady widowed? I know Mr. Brady was widowed. I don't know. I'm sure she must have been. Where are Brady Bunch people? We got to know. We got to know. <laughs> Where are those first yeah. parents? Those first, I first wives? I have no idea why I so vividly remembered this book, but I really did. Well, you know what? Because it, it just got you. It got yeah, you. It did. Love Swept Golden Classic. Yep, that's right. I'm naming all these. We're putting the numbers in because Steve Ammon down listens and I want him to know. <laughs> What is going to circulate right yes. out of the Brown Pop Culture Library this week? Oh, yeah, totally. <laughs> also, what I'm kind of hoping for, I'm kind of hoping Steve's going to do a thread of this later, where he'll oh, be yeah. like, Barbara Boswell was... Yes, I Steve, know, please The do. daughter of yeah. Jennifer and Mike Boswell, the billionaires, yeah. and <laughs> Salt, the, the 
Morton Salt family. Sure. I'm making all this up. None of this is true. None of this is true. (laughs) I think, here's the thing. I think at the end of this book, Maggie is fucking pregnant. And I got to tell you, it was going to be like eight kids. And I just didn't understand any of it. And then you said eight is enough. (laughs) (laughs) Scene. All right, Sarah, what do you got next for me? Well, we're skipping, we're going to save Elizabeth Lowell. So we're going to talk about, um, oh my God, we're going to talk about the girl who can speak to animals. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my God. Oh my God. Okay, wait, I got to pull it up. Hang on. (laughs) So Uh I wanted to name all the numbers, but I don't actually have the number for this one. My second pick is Hot Touch by Deborah Smith and... What you need to know about this, you guys, please, please, please go to show notes and at least look at the covers of these because, oh, first yeah, of all, it's be amazing. they're all perfection. Second of all, this book is set in Louisiana. Um, it came out September 1989. Uh, it is a love swept book. Um, and it is set in a bayou mansion owned by Paul Ballou. <laughs> um, and the cover is very important to me because if anybody has been in a Bayou Mansion in September, they know that cable knit sweaters are usually not. <laughs> I'm not just thinking required. about it. It's January in Chicago. Someone call Farrah Roshan and confirm with me <laughs> that no, literally no one in Louisiana owns a cable knit sweater. A cable knit sweater, let alone wears one no. in September. But Paul Ballou is cold blooded, <laughs> and so. <laughs> He has inherited, or he lives on this. I can't remember. Remember, I told you I didn't. I haven't read the read. I didn't reread because I felt like it would. It was important for me to give you the feel (laughs) of the book. (laughs) Okay, so I don't know. He lives in this mansion, and it's kind of dilapidated. It's like he can't afford it. This mansion, Um, and so, but he has a pet wolf (laughs) at this mansion, which is important because his wolf (laughs) is depressed and. Um, the wolf is supposed to be in a movie. Like, he needs the money. They're shooting a movie at this mansion. And um, they are. Uh, and they, you know, this wolf is critical to this movie. Like, it's like a movie. It's like Turner and Hooch, but it's in a mansion. And uh, uh, <laughs> what bio. would Nick say? Like, Nick's, <laughs> what would Nick say? <laughs> right, exactly. Oh, yeah. It's like in Valhall, right? But so the the wolf is important to the story because the wolf has to act in this movie. Like, they, sure. when the movie, when the film studio came, they were like, oh, how lucky we need both a Bayou Mansion and yeah. an, act, an actor wolf. So, fine. So, he has this pet wolf, and this pet wolf was very well behaved, except now the wolf is depressed and won't act. So, <laughs> Hollywood. Right sure. now, I'm imagining Eric sure. listening, going, what the what fuck? The fuck? <laughs> Why is so, so- Hollywood. It's amazing. <laughs> At the end of this, he'll text me and be like, this is what people think romance novels are. And I'll be like, it's yes. true and they're amazing. <laughs> I know. Um, There's no shame in this game. I None. I don't feel bad. <laughs> no. So um, anyway, so so uh, this is bad. Like they're losing money. Yeah. The, the studio's losing money. Like time is money, you guys. Wolf, <laughs> this wolf has got to act. What the hell is the problem with this wolf? So. They call Caroline Fitzsimmons. Sure. Who is listed in the cover copy as mysterious. The wolf whisperer. (laughs) She is an animal trainer and the best 
in Hollywood. The best there is. She can get a cat to tap dance. She is great. You have cats. You know that's hard. So, so, but she has a dark secret, which honestly, you guys, I can't remember what it is. But she doesn't go back. She's from New York. She's from Louisiana, but she doesn't go back because she mm. has a Louisiana problem. I don't sure. Know. Home. She doesn't like it. So, but she, they've given her enough money. They've basically explained and they've told her, they've used like basically the magic words, the wolf. There's something, there's something wrong with this wolf. And she can't bear to see an animal in pain. Even in Louisiana. Even in Louisiana. So she gets on a plane. She flies to Louisiana. She gets out of the car. She uh, meets, but I mean, Jen, <laughs> what animal does she really have to tame? <laughs> this hero, of I course. I mean, obviously the hero. <laughs> and his dilapidated shack in so Louisiana. So the hero's like, what? I know how to train my wolf. I know what I need to do. Like, I know how to save this wolf. Like, I don't need some uppity... L.A. animal trainer. Coming in here. You guys have all read this hero. So here's what I remember. At one point, so it turns out, surprise, surprise, that Caroline isn't just a really good animal trainer. Caroline can communicate with animals. (laughs) Telepathically. Of course. So she basically is like, hey, wolf. Why so sad? (laughs) (sighs) And here's the thing. Animals don't communicate like people. They can't, like, really tell you. So this wolf is real sad and keeps saying, like, friend, friend. And so she's like, I don't understand. I don't understand. And he doesn't believe that she can talk to animals. And at one point, she's lying in bed and she's making a spider walk in circles on the the ceiling. These are the things I remember from this book. (laughs) My favorite thing is when there's an alligator in the way and they have to get a car up the drive, but there's a big gator in the middle of the driveway. And he says, well, if you can talk to animals, like, you're so good with animals. Yeah, right. Like, why don't you you tell this gator to move? And he doesn't know that she really can talk to animals telepathically. So she gets out of the car and she's walking. You're in her POV. And she's like, I'm very concerned because alligators are basically dinosaurs. And they're so prehistoric that it probably won't understand me. And I hope it'll understand me because I don't (laughs) want to lose face in front of this beast of a man. And then she says... Get out of the way, or else I'll turn you into a handbag out loud. And in her head, she's like, please move out of the way. I'm trying to make a good impression. And the alligator gets up and walks up That's amazing. <laughs> anyway, I do have to content warn because the wolf is depressed because he's in love with a neighboring wolf. Uh, no, not wolf. With a neighboring a dog in the neighboring estate who is in a dog ro- a dog fight ring, oh. and like Caroline finds out, and then there's lots of conflict because they have to break up this dog fighting ring. And Paul Ballou is like, "No, that's a good neighbor. There's nothing wrong with him. There's what are you talking about? There's no dog fighting ring." And so she like gets her, she climbs a fence, and she rips a skirt, and she whatevers. And ultimately, <laughs> everyone lives happily ever after. There's a secondary love story with a wolf and a dog. <laughs> I mean- <laughs> What more could you want, you guys? Uh, It is 192 pages long, this book. It easily has five books in it. And because I told you, so you can get it in ebook form. Uh, Deborah Smith still writes romances, but it looks like she writes like sweet, like maybe even cozy mysteries. 
Um, I mean, <laughs> she like used all her magic in that one book. I mean, she had to go to a different genre. I don't know, but it's pretty great. <laughs> and I got to tell you, because I've been reading the Goodreads reviews for all of these books, um, one of them <laughs> says that it this book remains relevant today. So I'm not sure what that means. <laughs> so you're going to find out, aren't you? Um, but there it is. Deborah Smith's Hot Touch. Don't miss it. <laughs> <laughs> oh god you guys i just also want to say i hope everybody understands like how joyous yeah jen These and books i make me like, oh my god you guys every second of laughter that you hear is just us like mainlining like happy romance novel noise yes and i think that's the problem i think we have i think as a genre we have like lost the the understanding that like these books are bonkers and that's part of the joy of it like fuck anybody who comes at us and is like that book sounds stupid no it doesn't it sounds amazing and i want to read it right now in one of the love swaps i have uh listen for the drummer by joan elliott pickart love swept 166 it actually has the (gasps) postcard in the middle yeah sign up for a love swap package i want to mail it and see what happens see what happens 9.95 9.95 for four books a month that sounds great coming right to deal. your fucking house i for a while and you get a plate a, or something you get like commemorative yeah. stuff too uh probably if it was now you'd get better commemorative <laughs> stuff <laughs> i also think i had for a while a uh, harlequin blaze i was gonna say prescription because that's how it feels medicine yeah, it's medicine Okay, um, Sarah, can we talk about something a little more serious I noticed as I was rereading these? So we're talking about Demon Lover by Kathleen Creighton. Ooh. Which was, I'm guessing, not a paranormal. No. Silhouette Intimate Moments in 84. Oh, I like those. They looked like um, the summer editions from the Babysitter's Club. Yeah, it was like the white with the red, right? And of course, this guy has a real Tom Selkie mustache. Babysitter's Club Summer Spectaculars. Because it was 1985, January 1985. And I actually did a, um, on Smart Bitches, you know how you can do like help a bitch out? Mm. I actually like really was like trying to find this one. Um, it's real problematic, and I have. N- it's about a woman who is a border patrol agent. That's not aging well. She's fucking ice. Ugh. And what she's doing is she actually gets caught up in, and I really vividly remember like this part of the plot. She gets caught up in. Um, she's going to arrest some coyotes, and she what essentially. Is a coyote? Someone who's like Ill- running people across the border. So, oh, so she, the, and it's the people who are actually like, yeah, right. Okay. And so it's, it's interesting. It's like she's, her sympathies are clearly with like the people who are being abused by the coyotes. Like she's like, they take their money and they abandon them in the desert and these are bad guys. And so she gets caught by what she thinks is a coyote. And I did not read, read. I read the beginning and the end. I did not reread any of the middle. Cause I'm sure it's real fucking problematic and crazy shit racist. But, um, she gets caught by a, a man she knows is an American, but is like working with the coyotes. She, he speaks great Spanish, but he's got blue eyes. Of and of course, right. And it turns out at the end that he was like a DEI, a. no, DEA agent. 
And DEI so, is diversity, equity, and equity inclusion. inclusion. That's which is not this book here. That's not of. present no. in this book. God, no. Here's what I re- really remember, and I reread the end of this because I was really fascinated by it, is she falls in love with him, but then she can't forgive herself for falling in love with a criminal. And mm. I was like, I, you know, there's no dark romance back then. Back then, if you fell in love with someone who you thought was a criminal and was doing bad things and taking advantage of people, that was like a real night of the soul for you. Yeah, and you yeah, had to like, yeah, yeah. Ex- and this was like her big thing, like how even then when she finds out that he he was undercover, she can't blame her. She can't help but blame herself for falling in love with him when she didn't know that. Right. And even though he's like, you just kind of knew. She's like, did I, though? Mm -hmm. So that's like the whole dilemma. But I'll tell you what was really interesting about this book. And we don't have to talk about it now. Maybe if we do like romantic suspense, we can talk about it. He's a Vietnam vet because it's 85. Yeah. So he was, you know, he's 35. He'd come back 10 years early, you know, spend 10 years. And I have actually I had really forgotten just how many of these heroes these mid 80s categories heroes are men coming who would come home from vietnam yeah uh, yes and it was you know yeah. i, w- I want to talk about this but i don't think we can do it justice today. today right um and i think we need to be able to do this justice i want to talk yeah. about military romances and the kind of work that yes. they are doing on a really social level. Yes. The kind of yes. emotional work they're doing for readers, particularly wives. Women and wives. Yes, absolutely. Um, I, so, but just I, let's, yeah, not, like, not now. I don't want to be flipping about these books. Like, no. I, like I want to, I want to dig deep on them in a yeah. different way. Cause it really got me thinking. And it was just like really fascinating that I, I had no interest in rereading this book. Although, like I said, I did reread the end and the whole like sort of dilemma of like hers was, you know, like I, I fell in love with you when I, you were not a good person. What does that say about me? Is it like morality chain, but in a complicated way yeah almost right like what like i i shouldn't have done that yeah so it was really interesting um it wasn't like silly at all um i was also really impressed i guess at how um like it felt really long like those intimate moments were like the longer ones right the ones that were like probably 260 pages (laughs) yeah and um so yeah not like a silly one but one that really got me thinking about like uh, yeah the work that romance does yeah, for sure. It's interesting because I think there are two different. I think that is a that is a very specific kind of archetype. That sort of veteran hero who comes home from war. Um, we see that in like the Navy SEAL, the Green Beret. Mm-hmm. Um, but my last pick for today, and I know you have an Elizabeth <laughs> Lowell too. Yeah, is um, Elizabeth Uh-oh. Lowell's Warrior, which Jen, if you would like to see, this is. Yeah, this is I mean, like I have it is scotch taped. The cover is scotch taped (laughs) back onto here. Um, I have read this book. It is uh, Silhouette Desire number 631, Mm. um, April 1991. And uh, it begins with the line. I don't even have to read it. (laughs) She was the wrong woman at the wrong place in the wrong place. I got to start over. (laughs) It begins with she was the wrong woman in the wrong place. At the wrong time, and she was headed straight for him. And our hero, impenetrable Nevada Blackthorn, segundo <laughs> of the Rocking M Ranch, was born of a warrior b- breed. 
The blood of his ancestors had given him strength, and years spent in Afghanistan's bitter struggle for freedom had Hmm. taught him hard lessons. Interesting. He believed in survival and nothing else. Now, let me tell you something. Nevada is about the most closed-off hero I have ever read. Um, All of hers were. But Eden is blonde and perfect in every way and a cat scientist, a big cat scientist, who's been sent for by Tennessee Blackthorn, who's like the main dude of the Blackthorns. Those of you who uh, remember the Blackthorns know that they were all named for states, states. right? Wasn't one Utah? Utah, Colorado. (laughs) I don't think there was a Colorado, but it's like Utah, Nevada, Tennessee. Tennessee. Carolina was one of the children. Anyway. So there they are. She's been sent for because they have a a big cat, like a lynx or a something. It's not a lynx. It's like a big black panther or something. I don't think it's a panther either. I don't know what it is. It's a black cat, a big black cat um, that's like on the ranch. And she's had babies like in this like den and they're concerned. I don't actually know why they're concerned. They're concerned. So they call... <laughs> Eden, the cat scientist, and she comes out to track the cat and, like, learn more about the cat and, like, experience the cat. And, but she needs a guide through this, whatever, this ranch, Montana ranch or whatever. Um, And so, of course, Nevada is the only one around who can ride a horse, I guess. I don't know. But he is assigned to her. So he has to take her up to the cat space. (laughs) She, interestingly, also has a wolf whose name is Baby. And so she lives on, she lives like in a house, like in a little cabin, like out by, out in the middle of nowhere on this ranch where she's studying this cat. And for some reason, they like learn to, for some reason, they have to be together a lot. Anyway, over the course of this book, at one point, like a boulder falls on him and his leg is stuck. (laughs) Um, And (sighs) she has to get the boulder off of him. And she's like trying to like lever the boulder up with a big stick and she's hurting herself and it's killing him to watch her hurt herself. Um, And at another point, they discuss the fact that um, when cats have sex, like barbs attach like male (gasps) cats to female cats. I've read that. Well, I learned about that from Elizabeth Lowell from Silhouette Desire, number 631. (laughs) Um, And also as part of this story, um, you know, like, Eden, like, there's a lot of, like, when you're out in the wilderness, like, like anything can kill you, a cold can kill you, like, you can get sick, whatever. And because Eden has this, like, dark past where she and her, like, family of lots of kids, like, were somebody died of the flu, a child died of the flu. Um, but most importantly, Nevada can scent pregnancy on women. <laughs> <laughs> oh, shit. <laughs> So I when you put even. a character on the page who can scent pregnancy in women, you sure. obviously have what's gonna to happen. make. <laughs> I <Sure>. mean, <laughs> it's so. What's going to happen? It's really so surprising. <laughs> Elizabeth Lowell was my entire jam. Do you guys want to know who takes the finger? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, Elizabeth Lowell. She's like. She's like, this fucking guy, he can smell when a woman is pregnant. <laughs> and, can I, I, and I'm like, uh, you know, 11-year-old me is just like, oh, yeah, that checks out for sure. That, yes. You guys, there is one of her books. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to talk about Chain Lightning in a minute. But there was one, and it's, I don't remember. I thought it was in this series, but she, like, you know, grew up with her 
her parents were like anthropologists, so she doesn't even know what society is because she lived in, you know, a forest or whatever. And and at the and she's like obsessed with like making him a shirt to show him <laughs> how, much, how much she loves him. But and guess, she's like, but she's I bet like, it wasn't like fossils. No, she's like, look at these fucking stitches. How are they so perfect? And I was like, Elizabeth Lowell really leaned hard, hard into like there is a a singular item, a symbol yep. in this book. In and this it one, is, it's a ring. Yes. Yep. Oh, like she was not dicking around at all. So, yeah, this woman essentially like makes him a shirt by hand or some shit like that. And then, of course, they always disappear at the end. And then the men are like, oh, but I loved her. Yep. Oh, oh, yeah. Well, at the end, uh, at the end of this, Nevada smiles and it's a smile to make angels weep. Mm. <laughs> and it's the oh, first that's... time she's ever seen anybody smile. He, she's never she's ever seen him smile. And it's like the most magnificent smile. Also, he has this like really pelty black beard, which I've always sort of liked. Like he's his, he's also a wolf. Sure. Which I'm in. Course. I'm in for it. Like, you know, I just when we talk about the things that blooded us or like that are in things in books, like the things that really get our get our juices oh, yeah. going. And then you go back and you think about these early books like beards, like pelty beards. Forget <laughs> it. That's 100 percent Elizabeth Lowell just like tapping into my brain and like inserting that chip. Oh, yeah. Oh, Elizabeth Lowell, you're a nonsense person. I love it. <laughs> yeah. My favorite, favorite by hers, I read it 800 times, but I'm afraid to read it again because it's so perfect in my memory. And I know if I read mm. it again, I'd be like, what the fuck was this? It's called A Woman Without Lies. Mm. And he basically is like, of course, convinced because, you know, one bad woman in his past always ruins these fucking men forever. Mm-hmm. Like, whoa. And, you know, he's convinced they're all, you know, trash. And then he meets the woman without lies and she doesn't lie to him and oh fuck they like it's all crazy i could like tell you the entire plot of of this book but what i really remember is that they he is convinced of course like the way you're pure of course is that you're a virgin and of course he doesn't believe anybody's a virgin right he doesn't believe anybody's a virgin and then they're fishing and a fucking somebody cuts the line and the hook's gonna come back and get you know like gets into his shoulder and she pulls it out and then they fuck and he can't like believe a she's penis. a virgin i mean and what's with the fuck? barbs what <laughs> no, they do she he's pulls like, out the hook and then they yes fuck. and he's like they're all it's all so hot and sexy and i just saved you and from no birth control ever of course and so right? why would you well so god i mean what the hell and then he's like wait she's really a virgin i was wrong about her but at that point she's like fuck well because and i bet is she a virgin because he found her hymen like all the way up in there <laughs> this is my other in all these old in all these old romances oh, the hymen is in the exact wrong place you guys i used to joke <laughs> that i wanted to buy the url where is the hymen.com and just put <laughs> a diagram like if you type it in there's just a diagram of where the hymen should be versus yeah, like where it is inside and like a yeah steel door up in there <laughs> Oh, my God. You have to really unlock it with your love. Okay, The things romance taught us about sex that are both correct and And also tremendously problematic. Yeah. Well, in Chain Lightning, um, what happens is also Elizabeth Lowell, which I reread this week, kind of like with one eye shut. Mandy works no, you for. Didn't. You reread it with oh, both eyes like, open because that's a bonkers book. Oh yeah, have you read this one? <laughs> of course. <laughs> I mean, Mandy is like, oh, Todd has some tragic, weepy past. She mm-hmm. ends up essentially getting hoodwinked to go to the Great Barrier Reef with Damon Sutter. 
all these names, too. <laughs> I can't ever come up with good names. Elizabeth Lowell, every single character has a crazy, oh amazing name. Let's make an Elizabeth Lowell name generator. <laughs> okay, anyway. She, as it turns out, is fine on big jumbo jets. She gets all the way to Sydney, but then they put her on some tiny little puddle jumper. <laughs> and she is, like, terrified. Yeah. And they're camping. Can, oh, yeah, here I'm you go. Back camping. to camping. Yeah. They have to camp. And, you know, and it turns out that she is actually a marine biologist. But she, through a tragic story in her past, she got, like, crashed in a small plane and drowned and, you know, whatever. <laughs> she <laughs> drowned. But it was fine. But it's fine. So now Damon's, like, real shitty to her. How dare you ruin yeah. my vacation? And, you know, whatever. And then he sees how brave she is that she wants to keep on, like, learn, keep on, like, learn how to put her face in the water again, basically. And <laughs> then, <laughs> I'm not even kidding. Like my kid learning to swim. <laughs> she's like, I can't do it. And he's like, she's so brave. Mm. And then, oh, my God, they, here's the part that's real crazy, though. They do it. And he's like, I don't want to get pregnant. She's like, don't worry about it. But then, you know, at the end, like, they just fly their separate ways, and then she, like, disappears herself from the office, which Surprise, I fucking liked, baby. right? Surprise secret baby. But she was just like, I mean, she says something like, I don't remember, like, some trick of her words, right, where she's basically like, don't worry about it, nothing would be unwanted, or it couldn't happen. But what she means is, I'd love to get pregnant again, yeah. right? So she goes to the office, she erases her whole fucking work history, and takes off. Sure. Right. And, and then he comes back and is like, where is she? Sure. 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 <laughs> right? sure. And then he has to like track her down. And of course it takes a while. And when he finds her, she is pregnant with fucking twins. Yeah, of course. Of course. Cause I mean, this cause is one is I not enough. Eight is, but one is not. Yeah. What the, what the ocean stole from her. He's given to her twice. <laughs> oh my god Ugh. um can i also say interestingly enough at the end of my elizabeth lowell eden pieces out erases her life and is ready to have a baby without him and he has to go get her he you know here's the thing we also need to talk secret babies at some point but what's really yeah. interesting about the way that elizabeth lowell tackles the secret baby is um the singular rule of the secret baby for me is that it can only work if the hero returns for the woman yeah. before the baby is in the mix. Yeah. So she can have, the baby can be a child, the baby can be in utero, the baby can be wherever the baby needs to be for the plot, but he needs to go back for her. Right? Not for the baby. Right. Because then, like, that's the only way, in my mind, the happily ever after can happen, and Elizabeth Lowell always nails that every time. I think that Elizabeth Lowell is the one who really convinced me that, like, men needed to be fucking miserable while they were groveling. She needed to get gone. Oh, yeah. Right? In Elizabeth, in these yeah. fucking books, women are like, I peace the fuck out, buddy. I am, no, I'm going to put up with your bullshit anymore. Elizabeth and they Lowell, have to, like, lay with it. stands you and your grovels. <laughs> We do. Oh, hell yes. Yes. We hell stand yes. a queen, as Adriana would say. <laughs> yeah, we do. Um, I also want to just say we're getting, like, because we enjoyed ourselves so much. And also we talked about camp for 10 minutes at the beginning of this episode. <laughs> um, it's fine. You, you guys probably won't hear it. It's going to be boring. So <laughs> yeah. um, we also um, have to talk about the fact that these contemporaries, bar none, are about women with jobs. Like, and they Every always have 
they always have amazing jobs. Like they're photographers or professors or big cat Mm -hmm. scientists or marine biologists or, you know, like they are women who can really like hold their own, pay their own bills, raise their own kids. They'll be fine without you as single mothers. And what I love about this is I remember when I first, first started writing, somebody, a reader asked me a question at an event about like, it was early, early days and it was about nine rules and somebody raised their hand and they said, would Callie be okay without Ralston? Like, would she be able to Mm. live without Ralston? Mm -hmm. And I was like, instantly like, yeah, like, would Ralston be able to live without Callie? No. Yeah. <laughs> but, but like every one of these old, these categories, what the story they tell is like pure, like woman, like f- skilled, competent female. Yeah. Like skilled, competent heroine brings down yes. hero who like literally just can't, like he can't even tie his shoes without a woman. Yeah. Them. Yeah. I I really do think it was very formative for me in that way, for yeah. sure. Right? I feel really blessed by having grown up in the era of categories. Yeah. I also feel like I feel like when I write, I'm really glad we did this. Like I'm about to enter the like, you know, real, real final, final bits of this book. And like having this kind of like the heartbeat of romance for me is these. Yeah. These bananas stories. Which and, I loved. And you know what I will say? We, I still go back to categories when I need to like recharge. Like category to me is like the, mm-hmm. it's like the purest form of romance. Mm-hmm. You just start plugging right into like what exactly it means. Categories are about tropes. They are about delivering what you want. They are about, it, it doesn't have to subvert the trope. It just has to do the trope perfectly. Mm-hmm. Category is a fucking gymnast mm-hmm. that is every single time is like, and now I'm running down and I'm fucking doing the mm-hmm. vault and bam, fuck you. Now let me do it again. And mm-hmm. I'm going to do it a hundred times a month. Yes. And I feel like that is the thing that I really still, and, and, you know, when you talk about people who are doing it well, like if Reese Ryan oh, knows so how to fucking write a category. She and does. they are she channeling really right. They are channeling some of the greatest tropes, like right. Yep. Um Naima Simone writes great categories. Mm-hmm. Now she's writing for Silhouette Desire. There are so many books that I uh, Juno Rushton, who I loved, that one book has a, a Harlequin romantic suspense coming out, I right. think, next month, right? right? So I was like, don't sleep on categories, man. They are a delight. No, and also for the writers who are listening, um, and I say this all the time when I give my workshop on conflict, but nobody does conflict like a great category writer. And the way that you learn, truly, the way that you can learn how to layer conflict on the page and how to make sure the conflict moves fast like a bullet from a gun is by reading these books that are 220 pages long. Yep. And somehow pack all this in. Like, yep. it's really remarkable. Other people I really love who are writing right now, or I don't even know if they're writing right now, but writers who recently I have loved, Marie Donovan, Kathleen O'Reilly. Oh, yeah. Um, 
who you know who's mm-hmm. who sets her books in uh in New York City, Tessa Bailey's all her entangled oh, categories. Yeah. They're great. Yeah. yeah. So um I am really happy we did this episode. <laughs> it made me really happy. I had a bad day and I am is- gonna be super excited to put these MFing covers in show notes. Yeah. And we'll tweet them. Maybe we could put them in the Twitter theme in yes. the Twitter um uh, Jen usually does a Twitter thread on Wednesday mornings, yeah. and and uh, yeah, they are amazing. And please check out show notes because what we will do too is like try to give you a sense of like who these we we both named authors who you know you can't really find anymore. So, um, but Deborah Smith is re- like you can buy Hot Touch directly from her. Um, you can buy Warrior directly from Elizabeth Lowell, I think. Yeah. Um. So and uh and um yeah. I hope you guys had as much fun listening to this one as we had making it. I mean, uh, and I'm like, Carol Mortimer. Oh, yeah. Carol. Oh, my God. Carol Mortimer. But, like, also Iris Johansson. P.S. Did you see yes, the listing Kate for Hooper. Iris Johansson's house? No. Iris Johansson is, I know, I'm sure it's over now, but sold her house, which was in, like, the middle of nowhere and a fucking palace. I mean, like, mm, this was... Irish Johansson. I mean, like, yeah, of course. Sure. And it had like a movie theater in it. I'm gonna put. I'm gonna. Uh, we'll put links and show notes to the listing. The house that White sat and built. <laughs> <laughs> the uh, house that those swoosh books built. My God. Yeah, right. So many. And mm. I didn't even get to talk about the one that I remember that I don't remember. Um. So anyway, Next time. you guys, tell us about your favorite old categories your old the old ones you know the ones that we're talking about the ones where you're like what is happening <laughs> like i have never like i love that uh the other day joanna shoop was tweeting with uh she was tweeting with i think Kristen callahan and she was like have you read the end stewart where the, the yes. heroine falls in love with her brother what you guys here's the thing this blew my mind though Kristen Callahan was like, yeah, that shit's like 40 years old. It really feels like reading historical. And someone's like, well, yeah, like in 1980, 40 years ago, it would have been a, like a romance set during World War II. And I had to like take to my bed. Oh, I was did like, you? oh, shit. Was it like hearing the turn, turn of, the of the century? <laughs> I say it all the time now. I know it's bananas. But you know what, you guys like these books? Yeah. you. Mm-hmm. What's amazing is they're, it's like you're looking at um at like a... Like, you've dug up a time capsule. Yeah, And, like, you just – you have to come at them as, like, with a delighted – the delighted eye (laughs) of a scientist. A big cat scientist, if you will. (laughs) A dragon professor. (laughs) A marine biologist who's afraid of putting her face in the water. (laughs) Work in the night shift at BWI just to fucking put food on the table for your kids. And babysitting for $3 an hour. A person, a scientist who can telepathically (laughs) speak to animals. Oh, shit. (laughs) It's all so good. All right, you guys. That is Faded Mates for the week. Um, Next week, who knows what it'll be. (laughs) It'll it'll be a thing. Um, (laughs) It will hopefully be Lorraine Heath's Waking Up with the Duke, but I am hard on deadline right now, you guys, so it may be something else if if I can't get there. Um, but I know that you'll stick with us through this. Um, and uh, we are Faded Mates. I'm Sarah McLean. You can find us at tw- on Twitter at Faded Mates, on Instagram at Faded Mates Pod. Uh, Jen is Jen Reads Romance. 
I am. You can buy buttons and uh, stickers from my friend Kelly at my shop at jenreadsromance.com. You can buy t-shirts from Jordan Denae. We'll put links in show notes from Sarah. Fade Mates is produced by Eric Mortensen. And you can also uh, call us and tell us about the book that blooded you or tell us about a crazy category romance that you really loved. The number is 646-450-3766. And if you stay tuned after the outro music, you will hear somebody telling us about the book they love. Awesome. Hi, Jen and Sarah. My name's Nikki. I'm from Richmond, Virginia. I'm calling to tell you about the book that blooded me. I found my book through Audible. I was just looking for random things to listen to and had a credit. Um, And I came across Molly Harper's Nice Girls Don't Have Things. I listened to it as I was road tripping to the beach, as I had freshly left my ex-husband. And it made me laugh, and it made me cry, and it made me have hope again after a really hard time. So I'll kind of late to romance. I was 29 when I first found it and I have been a devoted Molly Harper fan ever since and absolutely recommend checking out any of her series, but especially the Half Moon Hollow series and the Southern Eclectic series. Thanks so much for this amazing podcast. It's opened me up to so many new books that I didn't think I would find on my own. Um, if you want to follow me online, I'm at Nikolooch, N-I-K-K-I-L-O-O-C-H. Thanks again. Bye.